Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show, where designers discuss design. We're actually on episode 75, that's right, and we're talking about... Pow, pow, that's right. We're talking about prototyping, Uh, that practical thing we do before we do make a game. Uh, We gotta make the game to make the game. So, uh, I'm here with my fellow co-host, Sen Fong Lim, and the one, the only... Bearded Meeple himself, Tyler Anderson. Uh, Tyler, we didn't have you here last week. Uh, how you doing? How's uh, the gaming going for you lately? Gaming has been crazy. Um, I literally, literally cannot keep up with it. Um, I just get so many. I got five new ones today. I wow. got Barista. Ooh. I got I, I like Baristas. Ooh, Cosmos. I've got... Junior Labyrinth. Nice. I've got Apple Adventure for kids. <laughs> and then I got King's Vineyard. I got oh, all these games at a thrift store for nice. $8. Score. What thrift store oh. was that? Uh, Goodwill down on uh, York. Wow, nice. that's cool. Good grabs, good grabs. Yep. What How about you, Sam? Oh, I was going to ask you. I was going to be polite and ask you first, Daryl. No, no, you, you're next. Oh, okay, I can be next. Um, <clears throat> I've been working on a lot of stuff. Let's see. I've got my bit of crap over here. JT, when he sees this, he goes, oh, you should have got it made at the Dream Gravecrafter, but whatever. So I got... Uh, see, I make my... This is, this is... Oh, we're talking prototypes today, so I'll show you guys how I make uh, whiteboards today. Um... Also, I have, although JT, I think, can now print whiteboard stuff, which is really super cool. Yeah. Uh, but for those of us who don't live in America and who can't get the stuff shipped from the Game Crafter on the cheap, um, I can teach you guys how to make those out of dollar store components. I've been working with my drill press a lot, making... Yeah, I was wondering what was going on with the drilling. Oh, well, you know, we got a game coming out called Junk Art, and yeah. then uh, we have the expansion coming out right after it, so we're making the expansion parts for it. Cool. Figuring out, you know, how nunchucks. to use... Yeah, exactly, how to use... How to make nunchucks, that's really what we're doing, you know. Nice. Going in the, in the garage and doing some karate. Um, other than that, I've been working a lot on a game with Jesse called... Well, right now, <laughs> Jesse, Jesse's naming conventions are hilarious. We call it Skyline Crushers, and uh, we pitched it to IDW over the week, and and they're like, yeah, let's let's do that thing. So... Cool. Yeah, we're pretty happy. Uh, There's no contract yet, but they're really quite pumped with the idea, so we'll see where that leads to. I mean, there are some people who would say, IDW's pumped about everything, <laughs> but uh, they're uh, they're really actually quite interested. They requ- they almost requested that this type of game get made, so um, I was talking to Nate about, well, we have something in the works already. You want to see it? He said, yeah, sure, and so we showed it to him, and so that's, that's what's happening right now. Lots of work on that, and then Jay and I are busy on... Tons and tons and tons and tons of games as usual. So that's about it. How about you, Daryl? Yeah, um, yeah, it's been a good time. Uh, what did I just play? Actually, yesterday I played um, Mystery of the Abbey, going old school. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, the, you know the gamer clue. Uh, it, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've played recently. Well, Machikoro. A lot of uh, kind of more gateway games. I think I've been playing. Oh yeah, was that new, newer gamers lately? So okay. that's been fun. Um, and then uh, I've been designing a lot more light card games and things like that. And so playtesting that with 
new to gaming crowd's been really useful for getting feedback on you know what things are intuitive and you know our rules really easy to to gronk. Uh, even blind testing is really interesting. <laughs> Did you just say gronk? That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so that's basically yeah the last the last week it's been a lot of card game design prototypes that I have working on and uh, and gateway games. So Excellent. that's been me. I am not a designer by any means, and I don't claim to be one. But I came up with an idea, and I Here pitched we go. it to someone to come up with the prototype for it, and Wait that will lead second. us into tonight's show. So what the and idea was... you send it to us? Well, I was just happening to be talking to Chris Letter at the time, and I was oh. like, oh, my... Because he put a picture on Facebook, and I thought, holy mackerel, I just thought of an awesome game. The picture was... Uh, You're lucky uh, I love Chris. ...was Quantum Leap. And so yeah. it's, a hidden, it's a hidden identity game where everyone's a character and you got to figure out who Sam has leaped into. Nice. I'm like, bam, right there, there's the game. So nice. I don't know if he's going to do anything with it, but it would be a great IP, and I thought, yeah. wow, you know. That would be hilarious. Very nice, there very nice. Go. Well, that bridges us right into our topic. Nicely done, Tyler. About mm-hmm. prototyping and making a game. And we have on our uh, episode this evening, uh, Robin Lee's... And J.T. Smith, Robin Lees, you may have heard his name pop up recently because of his new upcoming game, Beyond Baker Street, coming out with Z-Man Games, and it looks fantastic, the cover art, and uh, I've actually had my eye on this for a little while because I am a big fan of uh, Sherlock, so that's uh, just a subject matter that I'm really excited about. And then J.T., who has been on the show before but has lots of things always going, happening, and it's got to give us some updates about things happening at Game Crafter. So uh, we're just both thankful to have you both here. Thanks for Thanks having for me. Inviting me. No yeah, problem. Awesome. <coughs> so I guess uh, let's just get jumping right into things. And I think I'll start off actually with Robin uh, with your game uh, coming out. I mean, you can only reveal so much. So, for instance, we can't talk about things like when exactly it's coming out or things like that. But it was a, a, a popular print-and-play that people yes. were were familiar with. So could you tell us a little bit about, obviously you can't tell the changes that Z-Man's made, but tell us a little bit about the earlier version of it that some people might be familiar with. Tell Or people that don't know about the game, tell them what they're, what they're looking, looking forward to. What are they missing? What are they missing? Okay, so basically what happened was, um, uh, it's a co-design, uh, myself and uh, my co-design, uh, Steve McKenzie. Um, the idea came about because he actually had a uh, game up on the Board Game Geek, which was kind of an expansion to Consulting Detective, and um, he wanted to uh, um, revamp it, and came up with some ideas, and within a very short period of time, we um, had, I think it was in the, in the space of a kind of long evening, we managed to design a completely different game from what the, where we were going. And we came up with this idea and eventually started pitching it to um, publishers in Essen in 2013, 14, 14 I think it was. Um, and got some nice feedback, but um, the development process from there was, as, as often as the case, was rather slow. And I got kind of a little bit disillusioned with that. So I actually put a pin, print and play up on Organ Geek. And uh, at the same time, um, uh, Richard Rado Ham. Uh, managed to get hold of a copy and did a review of it, and it blew up from there. Um, 
it got downloaded uh, That's awesome. over two thousand times or something like that, and uh, got yeah got a lot of hits. It was on the uh, hotness in the top of the hotness for um, a long weekend, uh, yep. which was absolutely fantastic. And shortly after that, it uh, it got picked up. So excellent. So there's a there's a nice success story in that you know something that took a little bit of time uh, that you've been pitching for a while. You did a little elbow, you know, you did a little put a little elbow grease into it, did a little leg work, and it managed to get picked up. And um, it's an interesting story because it was a print and play, and some companies won't actually touch print and plays, but this is a good example of one that was you know when they see the value in it that right. uh, they can do something more to it. Uh, and change it up or add content that they'll they'll pick that up. So that's good. Right. In actual uh, fact, it's one of the things that Z-Man had to had to um, uh, we had to discuss with them as soon as they picked it up was was what would then happen with the print and play because obviously people had access to the files from Board Game Geek or or Unpub, and unfortunately at that point we had to then take the print and play down so that right. um, so that they could then go into the development phase uh, of it, yeah. um, which was unfortunate because especially now because we've just been nominated for a Golden Geek Award. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, people can't get it. But luckily, the game will be out at some point in the future. Right. Yeah. Very true. And I mean, even just the nomination will kind of drive people to say, "Well, what is it? It must have been good, right? I, I didn't get it in the time, but now it's this whole new published thing." So, JT, uh, from your experience with the Game Crafter, which, by the way, is a wonderful place. Um, Thanks. Have you found that that is true as well? That Games that come out through the Game Crafter, do they get kind of what's the word shunned by the publishers, or have you heard of a lot of success where people publish through the Game Crafter first, which is almost like a, a just a one step up from print to play, or a couple steps up from print to play, but whatever, and then right. they get picked up after that? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I haven't seen a lot in the way of shunning. Um, what I've seen instead is uh, a lot of publishers actually use us as the um, you know, indie ground where they can pick up new titles. So, I mean, you were mentioning um, Chris Leader before. Uh, his big title is uh, Roll For It was picked up by Calliope off of the Game Crafter, and now it's sold you know, 50,000 copies or something. Right. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know that so, Roll For It game? <laughs> Uh, another one that got uh, there's another one that got picked up off of um, off the Game Crafter called Flashpoint Fire Rescue um, by uh, Indie Indie Boards and Cards. I can't remember yeah. who it is. Yeah, 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 indie no, Boards and Cards. Yeah, uh, and they uh, I think they they're on their fifth printing already. Uh, yeah, of that's right. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of games like that. There, there are dozens and dozens. In fact, we have a list somewhere on the site in the help system uh, of the various games that have gone on to um, various types of of success, either picked up by a publisher or uh, self-published in some way, like a Kickstarter, that sort of thing, um, or awards that they've won, all kinds of stuff like that. Great. Cool. I have a question for you, Robin. Uh, in sticking with tonight's theme of prototyping, uh, because the game was originally released as a print-and-play, and like you said, the file's been taken down, um, was there, because you knew it was going out as a print-and-play, a lot of times when people prototype, uh, it'll be very rudimentary, very, you know, linear, and then a print-and-play might be a step up from that, or was it just designed as, hey, this is as far as I might take it for now, this is what I'm releasing, or did you, because I haven't seen the print-and-play, and probably won't now until the real game comes out, 
did you did you take it to that level saying, hey, I, I want it to have a certain quality when it goes out yeah. there as a print play? Uh, so, so one of the things um, when we design our games is we want them to be very much story based. So the design of um, uh, the cards themselves, it's 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 mainly a card game. In fact, uh, originally the game was uh, had a board as well, and it was actually originally called Evidence Board, and it was all about pinning the evidence all over this kind of evidence board. Um, and then we decided that was one thing that wasn't particularly uh, something we were going to follow, and so we we cut that away. Um, and yeah, we'll see what happens with the final release. But anyway, um, hint, hint. Um, <laughs> uh, so to answer your question, um, when we decided to, we wanted to pitch it in this instance because we were basically uh, using only cards uh, and a couple of tokens. We were able to take the the artwork on on the cards to um, to a level which we felt was. Um, was of a high enough standard for people to think, okay, this is worth worth what my while printing out. Um, and we actually had um, a lot of the artwork we used from the original uh, artist from Sherlock Holmes, because it's all up in the uh, public domain now, we were able to put off that original artwork on, mm-hmm. on our cards um, and use that uh, along with some graphic design. So it meant we had a kind of, yeah, uh, that's, that's not actually our artwork. Oh, who is that? <laughs> That's uh, somebody else did a, a mock-up because they didn't like our artwork. Oh. <laughs> <So>. Oops! <laughs> Oops! <laughs> oh yeah, these are all other people's print-and-play versions. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's some of the original artwork. It's pretty hard to see there. Um, so we created a, a box that was. It was actually uh, talking about any boards and cards earlier. It was a, a box from the game Coup, where we yep. made a, a front and back cover so it looked like a leather-bound book. Right. Um, uh, okay. Now, people obviously couldn't download that, but uh, now that will actually lead me into another question for you, um, because it's a print and was a print and play. Uh, if you see someone else that says, "Hey, you know, I can change this," do you find that to be an honor that they're wanting to adapt something you've done, or are you like, "What are you doing with my baby?" Uh, as a first uh, design that we put out there. I found it at first quite hard um, seeing people going, okay, well, your idea isn't as good as what I actually think your idea should be. Right. <laughs> but yeah. but then, I de- then I decided that uh, that was going to just lead to a dark bath, uh, yeah. and I just had to accept that actually it should be taken as a form of flattery. Yeah. yeah. They want to spend the time uh, taking the game that you've designed and then putting the effort into redoing that. And people have, they've designed boxes, they've designed... In fact, um, one uh, lady, I don't know where she was, she must have been in the States somewhere, but... um, So I mentioned earlier, Rado did a a review of the game. Well, Mm -hmm. his wife, Jennifer, does makes uh, jewellery and beads. Yeah. And uh, this lady commissioned her to make uh, tokens for her fringe and blade copy of the game. (laughs) And then she available on her site. That's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, no, that's a good perspective, but an understandable one initially to think, you know, don't mess with my baby here, like, but, but it is a, a better a perspective. Curve. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, JT, I got to bounce back to you. I know um, from personal experience, even uh, I was at the New York Toy Fair, and I was with a uh, publisher of one of my games who was mm-hmm. using Game Crafter to show and demo the game and was saying, you know, this is close to finished product, but, 
you know, this is, and a lot of people came by and really thought that was just already the finished product. Yep. Um, so big kudos to GameCrafter for making such high quality components. Um, I'm curious yeah, what... Was, I always love to hear that. <laughs> no, I, I, and it really, it happened many times. A lot of people came by um, the booth and, and thought like, oh, is this a finished copy? I didn't think it was supposed to be out yet. And we'd say, no, no, it's, uh, it's you got to wait till April, May for uh, Fantasy Fantasy Baseball. But um, I'm curious, uh, one of the things we got, uh, just it just was in the nick of time, was uh, the black... Uh, black core linen finish, I believe, or mm-hmm. one of the one of the new finishes for uh, cards. Um, do you want to maybe share some of the different finishes or new features that have been integrated into GameCrafter in the last year that maybe people don't know about? Because sure. uh, I mean, they, and what's maybe even coming? We probably don't want to cover the last year because that would take well, maybe not hours. The last, the last, but the last we can, few we can talk about the last month or so. Yeah, um, <laughs> the last month has been huge. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we I mean we have the linen finish as you mentioned. Uh, and people are really loving that texture. It's it actually looks like linen rather than a lot of them just look like you've poked dots into a card. Which yeah, it's actually case. nicer linen than some linens I've seen. So <laughs> yeah, um, and so we got UV coating, which Sen uh, was talking about earlier as far as making dry erase type boards, um, and you can do that with any component uh, or all the components in our system. Um, wow. We just we just released a six-fold board, so you have a 27-inch by 18-inch board. It's enormous. It's more board than you can shake a stick at. <laughs> That's a lot of board, man. Yeah, so there's just tons of new things. Oh, oh, and I didn't even talk about the, the new mix-and-match uh, laser-cut chits that we do. Well, why don't you talk about that, JT? So people are pretty uh, pretty stoked about that. You can basically before you used to have to buy a whole sheet because everything was steel cut. So we yeah. had the the die pre-made, you know, to cut 150 of something out of a sheet. Uh, but nobody needs 150 circle tokens. They might need you know 25 of this and another size and maybe some squares and some other things. Yeah. And so now with the lasers, you know, you can pick whatever chits you need in your game, and we'll just cut out just the stuff you need out of a single sheet. So that you know, if you needed four different types before, you're talking about a lot of money, and yeah. now you're you're just paying for a single sheet. You're just fitting it all on one sheet. The other thing, so, uh, sorry, just to jump in, is uh, is dice. I I, oh. I heard rumors of engraved dice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's something we've been playing around with. That was you must have been listening to the podcast or talked to somebody that was listening to it, uh, to our podcast, I should say. Um, but yeah, we we've been playing around with engraved dice. It's not something that's um, it's that's not official yet. yet. And, okay. And it's I don't have a release date or anything like that, but we've certainly been playing with it now that we have the lasers. So. Right. So people guys, stay tuned and keep an eye out for that because I'm very excited about that one. Lasers. Yes. Freaking laser, freaking lasers. Freaking lasers on on sharks. Um, JT, just to bounce back to you for one more second, for the um, multi-shape, so you're basically making a die that's not really a... It's a virtual die that the laser will cut out of one sheet, out of all the tokens that's you right. want, instead of saying, here's 150, you only need 20. Right. But now yeah, you know so that you... I'm going to design something that needs 150 circle tokens just to spite you, right? Well, you can still do that. You can I still can do still that. Because then you'd, you'd have that... The system would just design that die for you. But basically, you're just choosing the various sizes and shapes that you need, and our software will stitch together a virtual die, as you say, yeah. uh, and, and cut that out of the laser. Perfect. So Excellent. Um, back to Robin. So, Robin, tell everybody where, you're, where you are right now, because I don't think everybody knows where you are. I know where you are, but... Okay. So, I'm actually from the UK, but I live in Denmark. 
So I'm at, uh, yeah, what is it, five, six, six hours ahead, something like that. Right. And where's your, where's your uh, co-designer located? Is he also uh, he's actually also from England, but also lives in the same town. He moved here like in 2014. We met up via BGG, and have been designing games pretty much from the get-go. That's really convenient. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's actually very convenient. Because I, <laughs> I thought you guys were all located so. together. No, we are. are. He is my new best friend. Did we you hear live, that, Tyler? We live in the town of Lego. So. Oh, I heard. I heard Lego. <laughs> I heard Lego. <laughs> Tyler and I are quite big Lego fans, so you'll have to introduce oh, yeah. us to, to Steve sometime. Um, so, how do you prototype when you're making games? Uh, what's give us some tips and tricks from from your arsenal? You don't have access to the Game Crafter, but you actually have our. You might have access. No. Nope. <laughs> I, I have to have downloaded. One of the first things I did was downloaded the uh, the card templates from the Game Crafter. Nice. Um, to use them for, for trying to uh, mix and match. And of course, uh, I spent a long, long time originally kind of making up artwork and fancy artwork and stuff like that, only to find that most publishers really aren't interested in what your artwork is. They're <laughs> interested in the game itself, and they'll take the decisions on art direction later. Yeah. So, um, so I actually I, I don't have access to uh, Photoshop. Um, I design cards and stuff like that in Excel. While Steve does most design in um, PowerPoint of all things. I've heard actually PowerPoint works really well because it I use PowerPoint all the time. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, what else are you guys using in terms of parts and bits? And what's the weirdest thing you guys have ever used to prototype with? Uh, I mean, we harvest a lot of stuff from other games, but um, so at Essen, uh, I've been quite lucky to to pick up. Um, there's one of the German. Um, component companies, uh, and on the last day of Essen, normally they have really cheap uh, bags of, of you know, m kind of bits and bobs that they've got left over. Right. And, uh, a couple of years back, I was just able to sweep <laughs> Can all Can you say that again? Of... That was very British of you. Can you say that again? Bits, bits and, bobs. and bobs. Sounds like my mom. My mom grew <laughs> up in England, bobs. so it's funny. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah. So one of the, so you got a big bag of stuff. Yeah. So, and then you just kind of, you know, use whatever's around and harvest bits from a few games. And so, like a lot of games, if they have um, punch board where they've, there's like a slot that hasn't been used for anything, kind of punch that out and keep it off to the side for, for using later. And if there's a game that comes with deluxe bits, put the deluxe bits in the bag and take out the other bits and use them for prototyping. Great. Sure. Good. Yeah. Over to you, Ty. Uh, yes, I have a question for JT uh, because we were just talking about prototyping. Uh, bits and quality uh, with Game Crafter. Obviously, there's a set level in which your production quality is. Um, is that something that you guys look at on a regular basis as the world market changes, as prices fluctuate on production costs, or do you guys say like, hey, you know, we're happy where we are, or maybe we'll kick it up a notch every few years? How, how do you look at that? Basically, our goal is always to produce. Um, what we call shelf-worthy components. Anything that you would be indistinguishable from a game that you would buy off the shelf at any game store anywhere in the world. And uh, so we're always trying to strive for that. But as we do that, we often leave the lesser components in the system uh, so that there are cheaper offerings. So, for example, we have uh, our, our newest style of box is called a retail box. And it 
literally looks like a box you'd get off of the shelf of any game store anywhere in the world. But we also still have our old, you know, what we used to call game boxes um, that are much less expensive and don't look nearly as nice. But if all you're looking for is a is a box that will do the job, then you've got that option. Uh, and then we have, you know, you have chits, which are nice, thick, two millimeter chipboard type things. But we also have what we call shards, which are basically chits, but they're made out of cardstock rather than chipboard. So it gives you, it's a thinner piece, but it'll, it's also much, much less expensive. Hmm. Oh, very interesting, very interesting. I'm going to change gears slightly. Um, both, uh, both gentlemen on the show also do podcasting and interacting with uh, the community. And I want to talk a little bit to Robin about uh, whose podcast or whose turn is it anyway. Can you tell us a little bit about the blog, the podcast, and kind of what the focus uh, of that is? Sure. Um, it's a bit hard to advertise for it at the moment because we haven't actually put one out since our Essen uh, review last year, but that's mainly because we've been, or I've been focusing on on the game design and trying to get stuff ready for... Make Although we noticed, like a shout out to Chris Handy, you just did a Paco Games. Yeah, uh, I just did a Paco Games. So, so. so that <laughs> caught my eye. Yeah, so, um, so well, basically... The idea of the premise of, of Who's Turning Is It Anyway was that we wanted a podcast that was slightly different from anybody else. And originally it started out as uh, only British people on it, but very, very quickly, um, even before the first uh, episode went out, we had um, Rihanna Knox, we had Ignacy Trevacek, um, from So suddenly started pulling people in from around the world. Um, so we immediately lost the Britishness there. Uh, it was supposed to be very short, 30 minutes, but we never managed to stick to that timeline because people just go <laughs> off-key. But one of the things we have stuck to is we don't do reviews and things like that. We don't really discuss what we've played. What we talk about is we take a subject uh, in board games, related to board games, and we discuss that. Um, and, and that's where our focus has been. Um, uh, the, 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 the past, what is it, 20, 30 episodes that we, we've done. This is 26, but we've done some specials as well. So. So, yeah, so that's what it's been. And it's always had this rotating cast just with myself as the host. Um, and uh, we haven't done anything, as I say, since October because I've just been too busy doing other stuff. I also got well, a new that, job in September. Fine. People, people that are unfamiliar with it, they can go binge, listen, and catch up. They can. Go um, and just get ready. I mean, one great thing that I think with podcasts is uh, they're a great thing to listen to while you're prototyping. So uh, people can be doing that while they're prototyping or working on things like that. So, uh, Sen, you're next. Oh, uh, JT, I want to show you, this is this is my <laughs> version of uh, dry erase board, so mm -hmm. you can see I've uh, taken chipboard and printed a sticker on it, dry erase, and it becomes dry erase because <laughs> I'm using <laughs> shelf liner from the dollar store. Like Very that. nice. Yeah, it worked fine. So... Screw you, Game Crafter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I will definitely cool. uh, take a look because as soon as you posted that, it's like, yes, I love anything that's dry erase So, because um, yeah. I use it in a lot of games. But so um, does that that stuff perfectly clear? So you can you can put something printed underneath it, and you're all yeah. good. Yeah, it's 100% clear. It's it's just a nice. it's just a shelf liner. Um, you stick it on your shelf to give a little bit of traction. That kind of yeah. stuff. Um, I've just never seen perfectly clear shelf liner. It's usually got a color or a pattern or something. Well, so. here in Canada, we're too poor to actually get that. You know, <laughs> color in there. So that's what, that's what happened there, buddy. Um, uh, hardly. <laughs> so, JT, um, you are sort of 
all over the map when it comes to the prototype conventions. Uh, you support tons of them. The uh, not only things like Protospiel, but you did something. What did you do this year? You did something else very interesting that I wanted to come to. But I couldn't make it. Up. Yes, yes. Tell us about that because I want to come next time. Okay. Um, well, will there be a next time? Will there be a next time? That, I'm not sure yet. Oh, come uh, on, man. We'll, we can talk about that. Uh, so what? <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that's really the problem. So if you would have <laughs> it's showed up, there fault. definitely would have been another one. But um, no, CrafterCon was our attempt to do something completely new in the game design world. So you've got your protospiels and your unpubs and kind of the the various uh, things in between those. But they're very much about playtesting games, uh, whereas this was all about all the stuff that you need besides making a game uh, to to exist and succeed in the game industry. So this gave designers the opportunity to hobnob with big wigs. Like they got to hang out with uh, Steve Jackson, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and we also had Bob Marr from uh, ACD, who is the number two publisher in the United States. Um, so, or I mean, not publisher, distributor. So yeah. how do you get your games into distribution? How about hang out with Bob Marr? That's a good way to figure it out. Um, so we, <laughs> yeah. So we brought in all of these industry experts from various uh, things, you know, from various parts of the industry. So we had reviewers and podcasters and publishers and artists and and all that kind of stuff. We had John Kavalik was there. Um, we had him talking. Uh, he did, ran an art panel for us, um, and so. Uh, you know, he's the guy that uh, does uh, Dork Tower and, of course, Munchkin art. So, um, you know, we had these really famous people that you could hobnob with and learn from, as well as the kind of um, workshops that we that we put on with the Game Crafter staff. So, telling you how to use the Game Crafter a little better, um, or people <laughs> who maybe aren't big big names, but they. Um, but they have some sort of experience. So we had some smaller people who, for instance, had gone and got stuff manufactured in China and talked about the shipping process of how do you get product from China to the United States and work with customs and all that kind of stuff. So it was it's really about seminars and hobnobbing and and, and so it was a really cool uh, way to bring people in in a way that uh, you know your normal prototyping type convention wouldn't do it. Uh, that said, you know we did it inside of another convention, GameholeCon. They were right. great enough to give us a host or give us a room to host that in, so that's nice. But because we did it inside of another convention, there was no revenue coming in. So basically, we had to call in favors and spend our own money to bring in all of these experts. Um, and that's cool, calling in favors and doing that because we pr produced an amazing event. And those videos are still com coming out. We're uh, we recorded everything, and we're publishing those to YouTube like one every other week. Um, oh, awesome! But uh, but you can't call in those kind of favors every single year. <laughs> you you run out of favors, so um, we uh, so we definitely won't be doing it in 2016. We're thinking that we might be doing it like every every two years or something like that. Nice. It's like the Olympics. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and you know what? That's fine. I, I think that's a that's almost for some things a good timeline so that there is enough volume and you know, interest and enough need to have something of that level, of that caliber, and it gives you time to plan. Yep. We have a question from the audience. It's about time. 
all the way from Amanda Games. I mean, Armada <laughs> Games. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I apologize for that. Flashback there. Um, teen times. Um, teen Armada times. Games would uh, like to know, uh, how do you find playtesters for your prototypes and nearly completed games? And I will ask that to, uh, to you, Robin. I think it's one of the hardest things of all because uh, I don't have a regular uh, group as such because mainly it's me and Steve and, and we design together. So uh, although we've got that camaraderie of back and forth and asking each other and coming up and brainstorming, so we've always got the person to test with. Most of our games start off kind of two-player-wise anyway because it's just us. Uh, and then finding the, finding the playtesters, uh, so uh, going to local cons, going to... We do have gaming groups slightly further away which you can go to, uh, and then again, take them down to Essen and always get people to try them out in Essen. But I find getting people to, to play the prototypes is much harder than actually coming up with the ideas themselves. Uh, that's the fun bit, getting people to try them and finding people to try them and the right people to try them as well to provide the right, right. feedback is pretty tough. Um, yeah. I don't know what the situation is like in Europe, but in the United States, uh, it's a little bit easier to find playtesters. Uh, I won't say it's easy yeah. at all. Uh, but it is a little bit easier because there's an infrastructure built in here for that kind of thing. We have protospiel events, for example, in three weeks. I'm going to go to protospiel Milwaukee, and there are, I think, like eight of those that go on throughout the year in the United States, and they're popping up more and more all over. Uh, there's also unpub events here. And then we also, I don't know if it has migrated to Europe yet. I know they're working on it. Um, we have a site called meetup.com here. And yeah. that that site gets you're able to go in and create a group for whatever interest you have and find out if people in your local area are uh, into that thing. And so uh, pretty much in any major city or even some minor cities around the country, you can type in, uh, you know, board game design meetup and you will find uh, a, a local group that you can go and get uh, playtesters uh, from your area. The, we have uh, a couple of board game cafes have, have shown up here. Um, they're a little bit too far away from where I am, unfortunately, but that, that's uh, one place we can go. And in fact, um, Playtest UK do do. They use Meetup for arranging most of their stuff, um, okay. and also started doing Unpub in the UK as well. Nice. So they've started yeah. coming over. Very Absolutely. cool. Absolutely, real practical practical advice there, and it's also uh, just to encourage. Uh, people, if you're watching live, feel free to join on the YouTube channel chat because uh, people are sharing examples uh, that they have found uh, places uh, to find playtesters or things like that. So some of the stuff that you know was already mentioned by Robin and JT, but uh, also when you're joining the conversation, you might even find out more because we have some mm -hmm. fantastic uh, listeners who uh, have lots of experience and are sharing examples. Uh, Sen and I have had the honor and pleasure pleasure of in Canada having a great group called the Game Artisans of Canada, and I can't help but resist uh, giving a little plug there because uh, we're very blessed to have a group of designers that uh, meet with each other and uh, encourage each other's designs. Play do, we have a, do we have a gang sign for the GAC? I don't know. We need one. We need like a... Yeah, totally. We'll work on that. I don't know. That. But they, they actually... Oh, they yeah, actually started right. a game artisan of uh, a Nordic game artisan yes, based yes. on the Canada one. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, we we we. I remember seeing some emails about asking if that was okay if uh, mm -hmm. they could emulate uh, the the kind of the structure, and we were really actually quite touched to see mm -hmm. that that it was blossoming up in different places. 
because for us, you know, uh, again, using things like Meetup, using things like Game Cafes, uh, we started connecting with each other and then actually kind of formalized and, and built even more with kind of a mentorship program, uh, trying to encourage and kind of help each other through the artisan process yeah, of just learning. Be successful. We actually actually talked about uh, doing an exchange with your group, Robin, at some point in time, or the group that you're part of, with the Nordic one. Um, yeah, sent, we were talking about sending some Canadians to, to, to go check it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, along the lines, though, of these great events that people can attend and conventions that people can attend, I, I got to use this as a segue, it's a perfect segue. Uh, for you, JT, uh, and your new, your new venture of tabletop dot events. Can you tell us a little bit about what new thing you're, you're going to grow and everyone's going to know about and love? Uh, well, I hope everybody learns about it and loves it, but uh, Tabletop Events is a, right now it's a convention management system uh, for tabletop events, for game conventions, basically. Uh, we at the Game Crafter go to conventions all over the place and we sponsor them, uh, and so we have a lot of friends at these various conventions and we keep seeing them struggle with the various kinds of things that they've band-aided together uh, to make the convention run. Um, and and they're having to band-aid that together because there aren't there aren't complete solutions on the market to help them manage these massive events. Uh, in fact, we uh, we have a friend that runs a seventy thousand person convention, and she uh, I mean along with a whole team, but they they essentially run their board game events off of Google spreadsheets. That's just how bad it is. Um, and if you can imagine running, you know tens of thousands of events off of a spreadsheet. That's a, that's a really tough thing, getting people to sign up for all those and all that. So um, we were basically created tabletop events to solve that problem. So people can uh, buy their badges through this, or as a convention runner, you can sell badges and VIG badges. You can uh, submit events through it. You know, uh, I want to play Game X or I want to run Game X, that sort of thing. You can sell tickets. You can do the whole uh, registration desk. You can print tickets and badges. Um, the whole nine yards, basically, and eventually it'll have other things like exhibitor management and volunteer management and, and that sort of stuff, but we're just getting started. Just did a soft launch of it last week or two weeks ago, and uh, the actual um, hard launch of it won't happen until April. So That's super cool. Amazing. As someone who runs lots of events, I'm very excited about this, so... I think, again, it's just going to help bridge together even some prototyping, some playtesting, mm -hmm. and, and different things like that. So Yeah. Even in the short time it's been up, like I said, it's only been a couple of weeks, we've already got, um, I think, 12 conventions on it. Uh, so that just shows how much uh, interest and need there is out there. Even from the very smallest convention to the very largest convention, you think that's that, that this is a tool that they could use and benefit from? Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Excellent. So what's the scene like over there in where in, in Denmark where you are, Robin, in terms of conventions, in terms of cafes and tabletop gaming? Is it a thing? Uh, yeah, it's it's grown uh, pretty wildly in the last three years, would I would say. Um, there's uh, they opened up a cafe in Copenhagen and Cattle. Um, was it? two years ago now. Uh, there's oh. one opened up in the second largest city and the third largest city opened up, I think, this past, uh, in the past what, couple of months. What are their names, the cafes? Just uh, there's the Bastard Cafe in Copenhagen. <laughs> nice. I, I'm afraid I don't know the names. Yeah, of the yeah. No, that's fine. Okay. 
That's so That's cool. something I wish would take off more in the U.S. I mean, you see it in Canada and you see it in Europe, but board game cafes here are relatively rare. They're starting to happen, but Just not starting. as much as they should. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really surprised that they're doing it as quickly as they have, given the, the population. I mean, the population here in, in, in the country is like 7 million or something, so it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a big population. I mean, the town where I live is 8,000 people. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, there isn't a, a huge market for that type of thing. Right. Um, generally, so hmm. yeah. Interesting. Hey, Robin. Uh, Dave Tomei uh, asks, and, and thanks again, Dave, for all the podcasting stuff that you're doing for us. You're wicked awesome. Um, what's the best prototyping tip you can share with him that you would share with with a person like Dave? What do you think, Robin? Best prototyping tip. I'm gonna have to come back on. It. I'm gonna have to. Think all right, about you can that. come uh, back on it. Let me, let me come back to that. Okay. JT, what about you? What what would you say uh, is the best prototyping tip, even before they step onto you know GameCrafter.com to to sure. make it with you guys? What do you think they should do? Uh, test early and often. It's um, get your get your game as quickly as you can from your eye from your head onto paper and test it with somebody uh, just to see if it's worth continuing and what improvements can be made. Don't too many people spend too much time in their head and don't actually get it onto paper. And whether that's you know digitally onto paper through the Game Crafter or you're just writing it out with index cards, it doesn't matter. Just get it out there and play test it early and play test it often. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And then I continue what I said earlier. Don't worry about the artwork. Uh, yeah. Stick figures if you want to draw people. Keep it keep it basic. Because hear that, Tyler? You could be a game artist. <laughs> there, there's enough of you guys that do that. There's enough. There's enough of you guys that are the real, real craftsmen of the uh, of the industry. I just like to enjoy what you do. All right. Do you have I'll, a question for our guests, Tyler? Uh, well, of course I do. I have a question for Robin, actually. Um, with uh, with your game being released by Z-Man, what are you working on next? Uh, we've got a. We've so actually, okay. So quick story. Um, I think l uh, last year um, I was watching a, a maple syrup show, and Sen was talking about uh, that how he and, and and Jay have got um, this uh, um, forum that they use yeah. for designing, right? And that just gave me such a good idea. Uh, so I immediately created one as well, and uh, and Steve and I used that a lot for putting down our, uh, just putting down any random ideas that we have and then developing the games through that. And it was actually a godsend because even though Steve lives here, um, very shortly, uh, uh, in uh, well, it's actually just before Essen last year, he went away for two months, or no, sorry, yeah, two months in uh, to China. Uh, uh, so suddenly I was stuck there going, okay, we can't sign. So, um, uh, yeah, that was, that was a huge, a huge um, brilliant idea. Fantastic idea, um, and now I can't remember where I came from. I don't know. Uh, what are you working on next? Uh, yes, we'll next. yes. Okay. So, um, so we've actually got loads of games in development in various stages of development. Um, and going back to the previous question, uh, get the ideas down as you said quickly uh, as possible, JT, because uh, it's still an idea until it's actually on paper. Mm -hmm. So get it down, get it down, get it down. Um, we've got, uh, I think, seven that we're working on. Um, unfortunately, not much we can talk about, although, yeah, uh, 
I mean, we're, we're, oh, give us a nibble. Yeah. Give us a nibble. Uh, As if they're well, watching right now. At least, a, at least a theme or a mechanic or something. More, more cooperative games. Um, if you say zombie pirates on a train, I'm going to reach through that camera. Oh. No, we've got, uh, we've got one actually on the, at the moment, which we're really uh, got high hopes for, which is uh, a submarine, um, oh. cooperative submarine game. There you go. No, oh. no one's done a game like that since Battleship. Perfect. Well, the game starts just as your submarine has been hit by a um, a German boat and is starting to sink, and suddenly all, all the right. arms are going off. I'll, I'll play that game. And if you mm-hmm. get to a certain yeah. level, you have to hold your breath and just be like, oh. Is the captain dead, though? That's the question, right, JT? Is the captain dead? <laughs> Actually, what's... Yeah, that's a nice thing. <laughs> I do that often. In actual yeah. fact, that's so funny because there was a period when, so the game actually started off as, in fact, it's taken many iterations. It's been a Robin Hood theme game, it's been a Game of Thrones theme game, and each time we've gotten rid of those because they're licenses and so on and so forth. Sure. And at one point, we had a game, and we were develop, well, we had a part of the game, and we were developing it, and we turned and looked at each other and said, okay, well, we'll go for a space theme. And we started working on, on developing that space theme. Turned and looked at each other and said, this is the captain is dead. And so we had to <laughs> get rid of a whole load of stuff there and start over again. See, you're inspiring minds, inspiring people all over JT. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's funny too because it's kind of coming full circle. When we were working on the Captain Is Dead, we actually thought about retheming it to be a uh, a, a submarine battle type game. Ah, it's hilarious. So, <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. I'm I'm really interested in seeing what you come up with because it'll be it'll be fascinating and amazing. I'm sure. Just just make sure that it's not quite as obtuse as uh, what's that one? Red November. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Red I've November. I've never played yeah. it. Um, I've never played it, and I know that's getting a new release soon. It is. So I'm, try- yeah. I'm going to try and avoid it because yeah. I don't want to get feel I'm getting influenced by it. Who are you, Reiner Nitzia? Yeah, you, Reiner Nitzia? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Paul and a Reiner. Well, uh, going using the same question, JT. I mean, uh, what about you? What else are you working on right now? Is there any any time left for you to actually uh, cook any of the ideas that are spinning around in your head for games? Uh, yeah, I, I'm. Um, I just finished up working on episode three of The Captain's Dead. We're going to be kickstarting that sometime later this year. Um, and I just popped into my head about two weeks ago uh, a new thing. I, I had a, I have a whole plan for episode four, five, and six already um, that's been in since the beginning. But um, but I, a new thing popped into my head for like a side episode kind of thing. Uh, that's a tower defense version of Captain is Dead. And Ooh, so I, I've been I've been playtesting that the last couple of weeks, so we'll see if that goes anywhere. I don't know. Very cool. Cool. Hey, JT, can I ask you a question about Captain Is Dead? Absolutely. So, so the first or the base game was on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and the third the third episode, as you're calling it, uh, is going on Kickstarter. But the mm-hmm. second one you kept on on the website. Yes. Um, was there a reason for that, and how did it work out? Uh, it worked out great for us, and it worked out great for a lot of our um, our fans. They were able to get a, a cheaper copy than we would have been able to allow through Kickstarter. Because um, with Kickstarter, everybody's expecting you to throw in all kinds of uh, stretch goals, and therefore you have to price everything a little higher yep. to include that stuff right from the get-go, mm-hmm. right? And so with this, we were able to say, this is the game. This is the game we want to make. We don't really want to add anything. So let's do a crowd sale instead and then just offer better discounts the more people uh, pile on. 
Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's a really good idea. Out, yeah. Yeah. Huh. And it worked out really, really well for us. And I would rather do a crowd sale for episode three as well. Um, but we also heard from a lot of our fans, they're just more comfortable with Kickstarter. So we're kind of bending to the will of, of those people. <laughs> even fan though, service there, buddy. Little fan service. Right. <laughs> it's fan service, but it's also, I think it's just people are afraid of new things. Yeah. Um, so, that's, that's so know, weird because it's just like a, it's like a P500. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like GMT used to do. It's, it's not anything different. It's really, it's really not. I don't think. But you know, at the same time, you got to go where the people are. And so our people, there were quite a few people that did not back episode two simply because it was a crowd sale and not a Kickstarter. Huh. So um, we're gonna try episode three as a Kickstarter again. And if it goes, um, I mean, episode two, as far as we were concerned, was great. It sold like 900 copies. Uh, that's a pretty good, I mean, that would be a pretty good Kickstarter right there. Um, so it was, we were pretty happy with that. If the Kickstarter does magnificently better than the crowd sale did, you know, if we sell, I don't know, let's say 2,000 copies or something like that, then we'll continue with Kickstarter going forward. Otherwise, we'll probably go back to crowd sales because it's simpler and everybody gets what they want. So. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little fake light bulb that every time I have an idea I'll just hold it up here and it'll shine. <laughs> so I have a question for JT just quickly. Um, have you thought of doing the Game Crafter game where it's a worker placement where you're like placing your wrench and you have your cards and you're designing the game as you play the game? <laughs> there you go. Game uh, actually. I haven't thought of that, but a lot of people in our community have started that game and never finished it. So um, they actually talked about we should run a contest at some point for somebody to make a game. Yeah, you about, should. About that. Cool. So this is an idea. This is an idea. Yeah. I see on the feed that uh, you know GMT uh, Nicholas Co is saying that GMT still does P five hundreds. Yeah. And Portals approach to selling fifty first state as pre order with Kickstarter like ish. Stretch goals is also something that is, uh, you know, just a just a variation on the same model of things, but enough to make it different, but also maybe enough difference to draw to to drive some people away now that they're comfortable with Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Although you know, I I know there's a lot of people out there with Kickstarter on Wii as well that really are beyond it and they're done with it. So yeah, so, you know, six six of one half dozen of the other. I think I think whatever you do, if it's a good game, it'll and it has enough push behind it, it'll, it'll get where it needs to go. Right. Um, <clears throat> let's see, back to prototyping, just because that's, that's what this is about. Robin, if you had one tool, one prototyping tool that you don't own currently, what would it be? Anything to do with making cards, to make them easier to make. Mm. Printing, printing sheets of cards um, uh, and, and getting them cut and stuff like that. I hate having to... I mean, I've got a great little... Um, like a like this size style. Um, uh, like a trimmer. Um, oh, I hate trimmer. doing it. Yeah. And 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 unfortunately, it makes the sound. It squeals every time we run it across, and the yeah. whole family's something. Made <laughs> but yeah, anything that make making cards easier uh, and make them look. So you you want a slit cutter is what you're better. saying. Well, and better quality card as well. Because at the moment, I'm I'm using like paper or a slightly slightly thicker cardstock than paper. Like right. 120 milligram, and that's all I can get through the printer. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's very, very paper thin, and then stuck with a magic card or whatever behind it. 
or yeah. any other type of collectible card game. <laughs> <laughs> we all we all are using those yeah. throwaway so, mystery cards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so JT, what? Oh, sorry. Even, go ahead. I might even be using really good magic cards. I don't know. I just bung them in. <laughs> super rares. So it's a black lotus yeah. is behind some prototype yeah. characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're all most expensive. Prototypes just ever. taking magic marker and writing over words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> JT, what what tool would Robin need that he could? Uh, it would be affordable at home. That other people that you know might do what he wants in terms of cutting lots of cards in a right. in a short amount of time. Unfortunately, there's nothing that's going to do it. Um, really fast for you, but there are ways to make it um, look really nice. Uh, the first thing is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out and try and buy a printer that will print really thick stock. In order to do that, you need to get a really expensive one, especially if you want to go color. Instead, go to your local copy shop and make them print it for you. Um, and then, that's the thing. We don't have them here. That's the thing. There are and, no copy why, shops? No, you should start like... one. You, should, you could make a mint. That would be like your, your <laughs> ticket to gold. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, in that case, you need to get yourself a, a nice um, a nice laser printer to start with, so that you can print thicker stock. The other option is that you can print two sides um, and then glue those sides together. But on Amazon, you can buy yourself a, a corner rounder machine. It'll you'll get hand cramps. Uh, I've actually got a couple of those punch things. Oh yeah, but you can get a big one. You can get one with a die with like a lever. Oh. That you can go okay. through like a whole deck Sam of toys. likes all the fancy sense of toys. Yeah. yeah. I just found one for you online from China, and it's only seven thousand dollars. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Bargain. Um, uh, alternatively, if anybody happens to have you know a million dollars laying around, I'd love to start uh, TGC Europe. So. There it is. Hey, there's a Kickstarter for you, buddy. Yeah. Came up Robin, would, you like, would you like to run TGC, Robin? TGC Europe? Sure. <laughs> there, you go. there we go. Sure. I've got there my plan managed done. already. And a partnership is born. The Nordic division. The Nordic division was what was yeah. was uh, promoted on the on the chat oh, here. People would yeah. love it here. People would love it. Anything yeah. like that. Um, drive through, drive through whatever it's called as well. People drive through cars. Desperate for that. Um, well, the, the opportunities so here. The the relationship was made so that uh, you know a, a nice little you know five ten percent. To, to the Maple Syrup Show. We like bringing people together. Um, <laughs> one thing, actually, that Jeff Stahl uses... Uh, do you guys know Jeff? Jeff did uh, all the like, Rebellion... 1812. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jeff uses a slit cutter. Uh, he bought a business card slit cutter, so oh, yeah. it's not quite the same size as a playing card, obviously, but it cuts like anything. It, it'll just cut business cards for days. I've, done, I've used business cards. You know the punch-out ones? You can sometimes get those really cheap. Mm -hmm. You print on the template, punch those out real cheap, yeah. throw them into card sleeves. That's where it's in the Thicker paper. <laughs> They're a little bit more expensive, but you can actually get business card slitters, the hand crank kind, where you can adjust the width of the slits. Right. Oh. So it is technically possible. Um, they're not terribly reliable for any kind of no. you know, really long run kind of thing, but if, if you're just trying to make a, a deck of cards here and there, you could probably get away with that. Yeah. We're, we're all saying the prototype that you make before you send off to GameCrafter and then get a copy made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, JT, that's, 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 JT understands that. JT understands that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I understand fully that there are people out there that will never make a prototype through the GameCrafter, and that is fine with me as well. Um, we're 
you know, we're here if you want us. I'm never going to try and force it on someone. You know, the funniest thing about the Game Crafter, JT, was my first experience with the Game Crafter was the boxes, the old black box. That ah, um, yeah. because it was so cheap to get this old black box, and it's not mm-hmm. that old. I mean, you guys still have it, um, and lots of people still use it. But it was used to hold a deck of cards mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was cheaper than getting the card box. Mm-hmm. That was just that, and that's just the model of of you know when you have that many boxes and that cost, it's going to mm-hmm. be cheap. Uh, and so that was the the funniest thing, that my funniest experience with the Game Crafter is like, why would you ever get that box? And then the guy told me, well, because it was seventy nine cents compared to three dollars and fifty cents, or whatever the pricing difference was. Right. It was quite. Yeah. It was actually a lot. It's like three times the cost to get the card size box, uh, versus this giant box that would have fit seven decks of cards. So back that's in the day. Did. Yeah, back in the day. And even with the shipping on top of that, volumetrically, yeah. it still made sense for him to do that. So it was fun. But yeah, I mean, we, we don't have any uh, prototyping companies up in Canada either, JT. So yeah, we do Staples. Oh. No. Uh, Staples doesn't count. No. I mean, like a special no. people. I mean, like somebody like JT to bring his robots yes. up and, and do yes. robot stuff with robots. Please. And then the shipping is solved. Yes. Yeah. We're actually working on the shipping thing. Uh, we had a, we got a new lead recently on a way that we might be able to bring down shipping costs to Europe and and Canada and Australia by, you know, twenty thirty percent. So it's not gonna it's still not gonna be as cheap as it is to ship in the U.S. But that could thirty percent. That's helpful. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Any any little thing you can do um, to help the Canadians, we we'd appreciate it. We'd actually yeah. take more of your refugees from America. <laughs> it's got, once once Trump gets into power, he's got people standing at airports. Will you take this to Europe with you? <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a few months before we can work out all the math and and the logistics of it to see if it'll actually even work. But I'm I'm hopeful. So. All right, Tyler. All right. We are going to uh, do our wrap up as we always do. And uh, Robin, I would like to ask you what advice would you give a new designer? Uh, easy, pretty much sure already discussed it. Uh, don't keep the ideas up here because there's still ideas up here. Nobody can play them when they're up here. Get them down and get them out. Design, Excellent. and it doesn't matter what it is. Stick figures with a pencil on a piece of paper, cut it out with a pair of scissors if that's what it is. But just get it out and get the games play tested. Excellent. And JT, what's your advice to new designers? Uh, well, that was my advice as well. So I, I think that's um, okay. What's your other that. advice? What's your what's your other piece of advice? <laughs> what's my other piece of advice? Of course, use the game. <laughs> of course, use the game. And you know what? I'll second that. Not as not a person who uses the game crafter a lot, but I know other people who do and get really good product and are very happy with the quality. So uh, while I don't personally use a game crafter. Just because I like making stuff by my hand. I'm a crafty kind of guy. I like making things. But for people who plus want to get... Plus the shipping to Canada. Plus the shipping. The shipping. But that's the killer. Yeah, that, that, it actually is kind of a downer. I, um, would, I would use GameCrafter all the time if yes. shipping was solved. Why don't the three of us just get together and get a P.O. box in Port Huron and then someone go over once a month? Because we're lazy? We okay. <laughs> well, we could do that. We could totally do that. <laughs> or we could just go in a, we could call Jason and say, hey, Jason, let's uh, let's do something with uh, a PO yeah. box. But yeah, so definitely check out the Game Crafter. Check out all the stuff that JT has on his website. They, oh, JT, um, I think one of the pieces of advice that new designers should do, this is linked to you totally, is the, the community on the Game Crafter. 
Mm. Absolutely. Talk about yeah. that for just a brief second while we uh, get set to wrap up, and then Daryl, you can wrap up after. I've got to sure. get this stuff going. The community, the community on the Game Crafter is second to none. It's it's really is the Game Crafter. It's all about the community. We have about a hundred thousand designers in our community uh, that interact with each other uh, on a daily basis. They're out in our chat rooms and our forums. Uh, we have auctions and contests and all kinds of things to get people involved. And we pay people in our community to go out in conventions and promote us and their games at the same time. Uh, so the community is just. Uh, it's just this vibrant thing. If you want to bounce an idea off of somebody, just go in there at the bottom of every page in our site, hit the chat room, and ask a question or bounce an idea. Pretty much 24-7, there will be somebody in there that wants to talk to you about games. So that's a huge thing. And actually, something that uh, that I should bring up that Robin said at the beginning was uh, download the templates from the Game Crafter. Even if you're not going to design to the Game Crafter, uh, you know, you're not ever going to use the Game Crafter, those templates will be useful to you wherever you print your game. It teaches you how to use things like bleed and safe zones. And so make use of that. It's a free resource. Absolutely. I, I want to second that as well, the community on uh, Game Crafter. One of the cool things that they do is not only uh, do they encourage that space, but they listen to the community. And so all the new upcoming things that they end up choosing to, to offer, the services they provide, the products sure. that they get, are driven from you know the polling of that community and finding out what do people want next. So often it's really what we designers want that we, you know through our voice on the community there uh, can get those services in the future. So um, get involved and then if there's things that you want, share that because the Game Crafter wants to be able to provide those services for you and really just wants to prioritize what's the thing you want the most first. So, um, so get involved there. Keep an eye out for Robin Lee's game coming out from Z-Man Games Beyond Baker Street. I want to say thank you to both JT and Robin for spending the evening chatting or morning uh, chatting with us. And uh, we really appreciate it. Lots of great advice for people. Uh, we're, we want to also give a plug for next week. We have uh, Matt Loomis and Isaac Shalev uh, on next week uh, chatting about uh, board game design. They're uh, a couple great co-designers and we'll talk a little bit about um, the co-designing relationship and they have some upcoming games that are coming out and I'm sure we'll talk about those as well. But until then, we just want to encourage you keep making great games and we look forward to playing your game soon. Have a good night. <laughs> Woo. I love watching